Well, welcome again to another podcast, Down to Earth, but Heavenly Minded. I'm your host, Irv Risch. And as we move forward, we're going to be going through the entire New Testament. Uh, and with that, we're going to do a commentary afterwards. And uh, with that said, let us just move on to our next section. And thank you for joining me. Chapter 18 And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God! For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Luke chapter 18 G. The Parable of the Persistent Widow, 18 verses 1 to 8 18 verse 1 The parable of the praying widow teaches that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. This is true in a general sense of all men and of all kinds of prayer. But the special sense in which it is used here is prayer for God's deliverance in times of testing. It is praying without losing heart during the long, weary interval between Christ's first and second comings. 18 verses 2 3 The parable pictures an unrighteous judge who was ordinarily quite unmoved by fear of God or regard for his fellow man. There was also a widow who was being oppressed by some unnamed adversary. This widow came to the judge persistently, asking him for justice, so that she might be delivered from his inhumane treatment. 18 verses 4 5 The judge was unmoved by the validity of her case, the fact that she was being treated unjustly did not move him to action in her behalf. However, the regularity with which she came before him prompted him to act. Her importunity and persistence brought a decision in her favor. 18 verses 6, 7 Then the Lord explained to the disciples that if an unjust judge would act in behalf of a poor widow because of her importunity, how much more will the just God intervene in behalf of his own elect? The elect here might refer in a special sense to the Jewish remnant during the tribulation period, but it is also true of all oppressed believers in every age. The reason God has not intervened long ago is because He is long-suffering with men, not willing that any should perish. 18 verse 8 But the day is coming when His Spirit will no longer strive with men, and then He will punish those who persecute His followers. 
The Lord Jesus closed the parable with the question, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This probably means the kind of faith that the poor widow had. But it may also indicate that when the Lord returns, there will only be a remnant who are true to him. In the meantime, each of us should be stimulated to the kind of faith that cries to God night and day. H. Parable of the Pharisee and the Tax Collector, 18 verses 9 to 14. 18 verses 9 to 12 The next parable is addressed to people who pride themselves on being righteous and who despise all others as inferior. By labeling the first man as a Pharisee, the Savior did not leave any doubt as to the particular class of people he was addressing. Although the Pharisee went through the motions of prayer, he was really not speaking to God. He was rather boasting of his own moral and religious attainments. Instead of comparing himself with God's perfect standard and seeing how sinful he really was, he compared himself with others in the community and prided himself on being better. His frequent repetition of the personal pronoun I reveals the true state of his heart as conceited and self-sufficient. 18 verse 13 The tax collector was a striking contrast. Standing before God, he sensed his own utter unworthiness. He was humbled to the dust. He would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and cried to God for mercy, God be merciful to me, literally, the sinner. He did not think of himself as one sinner among many, but as the sinner who was unworthy of anything from God. 18 verse 14 The Lord Jesus reminded his hearers that it is this spirit of self-humiliation and repentance that is acceptable to God. Contrary to what human appearances might indicate, it was the tax collector who went down to his house justified. God exalts the humble, but he humbles those who exalt themselves. I. Jesus and the Little Children, 18 verses 15 to 17. This incident reinforces what we have just had before us, namely, that the humility of a little child is necessary for entrance into the kingdom of God. Mothers crowded around the Lord Jesus with their infants in order that they might receive blessing from him. His disciples were annoyed by this intrusion into the Savior's time. But Jesus rebuked them and tenderly called the little children to himself, saying, Of such is the kingdom of God. Verse 16 answers the question, What happens to little children when they die? The answer is that they go to heaven. The Lord clearly said, Of such is the kingdom of God. Children can be saved at a very tender age. That age probably varies in the case of individual children, but the fact remains that any child, no matter how young, who wishes to come to Jesus should be permitted to do so, and encouraged in his faith. Little children do not need to become adults in order to be saved, but adults do need the simple faith and humility of a little child in order to enter God's kingdom. J. The Rich Young Ruler, 18 verses 18 to 30 18 verses 18, 19 This section illustrates the case of a man who would not receive the kingdom of God as a little child. One day a certain ruler came to the Lord Jesus, addressing him as good teacher, and asking what he must do in order to inherit eternal life. The Savior first of all questioned him on the use of the title good teacher. Jesus reminded him that only God is good. Our Lord was not denying that he was God, but he was trying to lead the ruler to confess that fact. If he was good, then he must be God, since only God is essentially good. 18 verse 20 Then Jesus dealt with the question, What must I do to inherit eternal life? We know that eternal life is not inherited, and is not gained by doing good works. Eternal life is the gift of God through Jesus Christ. 
In taking the ruler back to the Ten Commandments, the Lord Jesus was not implying that he could ever be saved by keeping the law. Rather he was using the law in an effort to convict the man of sin. The Lord Jesus recited the five commandments which have to do with our duty to our fellow man, the second table of the law. 18 verses 21 to 23 It is apparent that the law did not have its convicting effect in the life of the man, because he arrogantly claimed to have kept these commandments from his youth. Jesus told him that he lacked one thing, love for his neighbor. If he had really kept these commandments, then he would have sold all his possessions and distributed them to the poor. But the fact of the matter was that he did not love his neighbor as himself. He was living a selfish life, with no real love for others. This is proved by the fact that when he heard these things, he became very sorrowful, because he was very rich. 18 verse 24 As the Lord Jesus looked upon him, he commented on the difficulty of those who have riches entering the kingdom of God. The difficulty is in having riches without loving and trusting them. This whole section raises disturbing questions for Christians as well as unbelievers. How can we be said truly to love our neighbors when we live in wealth and comfort when others are perishing for want of the gospel of Christ? 1825 Jesus said that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Many explanations have been given of this statement. Some have suggested that the needle's eye is a small inner gate in the wall of a city, and that a camel could enter only by kneeling down. However, Dr. Luke uses a word that specifically means a surgeon's needle and the meaning of the Lord's statement seems to lie on the surface. In other words, just as it is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, so it is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It is not enough to explain this as meaning that a rich man cannot, by his own efforts, enter the kingdom, that is true of rich and poor alike. The meaning is that it is impossible for a man to enter the kingdom of God as a rich man, as long as he makes a god of his wealth, lets it stand between himself and his soul's salvation, he cannot be converted. The simple fact of the matter is that not many rich people are saved, and those who are must first be broken before God. 18 verses 26, 27 As the disciples thought about all of this, they began to wonder who then could be saved. To them, riches had always been a sign of God's blessing. Deuteronomy 28 verses 1-8. If rich Jews aren't saved, then who can be? The Lord answered that God could do what man cannot do. In other words, God can take a greedy, grasping, ruthless materialist, remove his love for gold, and substitute for it a true love for the Lord. It is a miracle of divine grace. Again, this whole section raises disturbing questions for the child of God. The servant is not above his master. The Lord Jesus abandoned his heavenly riches in order to save our guilty souls. It is not fitting for us to be rich in a world where he was poor. The value of souls, the imminence of Christ's return, the constraining love of Christ should lead us to invest every possible material asset in the work of the Lord. 18:28:30 When Peter reminded the Lord that the disciples had left their homes and families to follow him, the Lord replied that such a life of sacrifice is rewarded liberally in this life and will be further rewarded in the eternal state. The latter part of verse 30, and in the age to come eternal life, does not mean that eternal life is gained by forsaking all, rather it refers to increased capacity for enjoying the glories of heaven, plus increased rewards in the heavenly kingdom. It means the full realization of the life that had been received at the time of conversion, i.e., life in its fullness. K. Jesus again predicts his death and resurrection, 18 verses 31-34.
18 verses 31 to 33, for the third time, the Lord took the twelve and warned them in detail what awaited him, see 9 verses 22, 44. He predicted his passion as being in fulfillment of what the prophets of the OT had written. With divine foresight, he calmly prophesied that he would be delivered to the Gentiles. It was more probable that he would be privately slain or stoned to death in a tumult, 52 but the prophets had foretold his betrayal, his being mocked and insulted and spit upon, and so it must be. He would be scourged and killed, but the third day he would rise again. The remaining chapters unfold the drama which he so wonderfully foreknew and foretold. We are going up to Jerusalem, 18 verse 35 to 19 verse 45. The Son of Man will be delivered to the Gentiles, 19 verse 47 to 23 verse 1. He will be mocked and insulted, 23 verses 1 to 32. They will kill him, 23 verses 33 to 56. The third day he will rise again, 24 verses 1 to 12. 18 verse 34 Amazingly enough, the disciples understood none of these things. The meaning of his words was hidden from them. It seems hard for us to understand why they were so dull in this matter, but the reason is probably this, their minds were so filled with thoughts of a temporal deliverer who would rescue them from the yoke of Rome and set up the kingdom immediately, that they refused to entertain any other program. We often believe what we want to believe and resist the truth if it does not fit into our preconceived notions. Ella the Healing of a Blind Beggar, 1835-43 18 verses 35-37 The Lord Jesus had now left Perea by crossing the Jordaniel Luke says the incident that follows happened as he was coming near Jericho. Matthew and Mark say that it is when he was leaving Jericho, Matthew 20 verse 29, Mark 10 verse 46. Also Matthew says that there were two blind men, Mark and Luke both say there was one. It is possible that Luke is speaking of the new city whereas Matthew and Mark are referring to the old city. It is also possible that there was more than one miracle of the blind receiving their sight at this place. Whatever the true explanation might be, we are confident that if our knowledge were greater, the seeming contradictions would disappear. 18 verse 38 The blind beggar somehow recognized Jesus as the Messiah, because he addressed him as the son of David. He asked the Lord to have mercy on him that is, to restore his sight. 18 verse 39, in spite of the attempts of some to silence the beggar, he insistently cried out to the Lord Jesus. The people were not interested in a beggar. Jesus was. 18 verses 40, 41 So Jesus stood still. Darby comments insightfully, Joshua once bade the sun stand still in the heavens, but here the Lord of the sun, and the moon, and the heavens, stands still at the bidding of a blind beggar. At Jesus' command the beggar was brought to him. Jesus asked him what he wanted. Without hesitation or generalization, the beggar replied that he wanted his sight. His prayer was short, specific, and full of faith. 18 verses 42, 43 Jesus then granted the request and immediately the man received his sight. Not only so, he followed the Lord, glorifying God. We may learn from this incident that we should dare to believe God for the impossible. Great faith greatly honors him. As the poet has written, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. Well, this ends another one of our podcasts. 
And until uh, next time, just remember, God is out here. And you can find out all about him in your Bibles. All you have to do is pick it up and read it. I have mine right here. And uh, God is in this Bible. So please read it. With that said, bye for now. Till next time.